0: Welcome to another episode of Workforces 3.0, where we talk about all things related to the future of talent and workforces. I'm super excited about our guest today, Winifred Parnes, who is from HBO, running design ops, and is going to talk to us about the future of workforces in the media industry. So uh, let's get started. Welcome, Winifred. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your role at HBO and um, how you're working with uh, Workforce strategy there.
1: Yeah. So I'm the design Ups manager at HBO, which is now Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, and the design team historically, HBO was a bit more siloed as an internal team, but in the time that I've been there, um, they've been given room to become more embedded earlier with cross-functional teams um, and with like direct and visible embedded um, with a. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So i recently moved out of the interactive design team into the larger um, ops org, and that um, with plans to create a more unified ops team. Um, And the talent strategy at HBO has always kind of felt more as a place where people who um, love HBO come to work on projects where like, this shows the ones they grew up watching in their homes. So it really creates a, like a more passionate collection um, of people when you, around you when you're kind of bringing in that talent workforce. It's a really diverse group.
0: That's amazing. It's always amazing to have passionate people working for you and for your brand. Um, do you find that's the case with both internal and external talent? So when you're working with freelancers, which I gather you work with quite a lot in your role, Um, Do you find that they are also coming in, bringing that passion? Um, Just, you know, obviously, HBO, Warner Brothers are, um, yeah, long uh, lasting brands that have been around forever. And like you said, we all grew up with these networks. So how does that, um, that play a role across the different types of talent?
1: you definitely find people approaching um, more than necessarily where you would normally have to reach out heavily um, because it it is an environment where people want to work with HBO. They want to work on projects. There's something in their head that kind of, they they almost equate to HBO. There's always like the story of like, you know, The Wire or, you know, or The Sopranos. So it, it applies to both like uh, freelance contract, but also agencies, like you'll find people um, actively, like I I actually find people actively reaching out to me often, and you know, saying like, you know, I saw you guys are doing this, it seems like a project. If you guys need someone, you know, do working with 3D modeling or even friends like my, you know, my, my kid just graduated, you guys have an internship program, um, which is, which is different for me from, from previous jobs you know, where I do actively have people reaching out and saying that this is something that like uh like you know struck a chord with them and they'd be interested in working on the, the you know the next season of House of Dragon if if it comes if the opportunity comes up.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean that level of employer branding is so powerful. And um, like broadly from, from your experience and, and what you've seen across the, the industry as a whole, like what role are freelancers playing today or maybe how has it changed in the last few years? Obviously, having people um, who want to come into your business and work for you is a, is a good thing. Um, and I imagine you guys need that. So that's something that's uh, really powerful for
1: you to leverage. Yeah. And I, I do honestly, I see freelancers have a much stronger hold um, now within the needs of companies and, um, just with the the growing pace of the industry, people just consume content, uh, content right now. They're just like consuming it. And the train, the trends change daily. Like, I just don't think this, there's ever been a time when the pace was so rapid like this, where, you know, what you created yesterday is different than the needs that are created today. And so it's like, it's just impossible to keep pace if you're External workforce is just not as apt or quick. And I think that like, I mean, we all see it. There's this constant growing cost of hiring and retaining full-time staff. So it's just like good business to have that budgetary space to bring in this new like top class talent that can be hyper-specific on a project. And then also as a company, stay like fiscally nimble.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was reading some recent uh, data that was talking about the media industry being one of the most impacted or will probably be the most impacted by layoffs and also that companies that are laying off are also looking towards the external workforce or even the laid off employees um, trying to bring them back in as freelancers. so just considering that, I mean, how much do you think the usage of these types of workers will grow in the new kind of economic downturn we're facing or possibly the in, depending on who you ask? Um, and you mentioned retention. So uh, in addition to, yeah, maybe using more freelancers, what role does retention have uh, when you think about freelance retention, uh, which might not be the most traditional type, but um, I think still probably plays a big part in being able to source quickly and stay
1: nimble, like you say. Yeah, I, I think it's it's two parts, right? It's it's source quickly, but also retain them, right? Like they they are almost your your client, um, and I really think it has to be treated like a top priority agenda item. And like just knowing that um, the dynamic of your staff workforce may not no longer be a static fact is really key. You know that that mindset of uh, understanding that we need to be reliant on external talent and if you're not bringing in both reliable but also creative contractors um you know leaders need to be able to assure that their staff that there'll be resources for them to lean on to mitigate that burnout you know like they need to be able to just know that if there are layoffs that there are resources that can be accessed and if you're not prepped properly to be able to bring those people in, you know, as needed, and not have it take, say, you know, six months to bring someone in, that difference in time could also mean whether or not you retain your current staff, right, or whether they stay or go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are there any trends you see in terms of like, causing delays in this? Like, are there things that impact you know, someone starting quickly or, you know, being able to find talent that you've personally struggled with or you see in the industry struggle with at large? I mean,
1: I think it's there's there's a myriad of reasons, right? There's there's compliance, there's legal, there's there's all these layers that you have to go through. And if you don't have like a set plan, right? A go-to where say I go to my manager and say, I need someone for a project. And if they can't just point me in the direction where this has been approved. You can go here, right? And if you only say have a few options, you're always going to go to the same options, right? And you know, they may or may not be a good fit for the project that you're working on. And you're really kind of you're stuck in a bit of a, a pickle then, right? Where you know you have options, they may not may, may not be the best option. And I think that the larger the company, obviously, the more layers of that to get to, you know, to even just get a a system that's approved for you to reach out to. And I mean, particularly, obviously, at HBO, Warner Brothers, Discovery, things like that, we're a huge company. So you don't have the freedom to just say, you know, my cousin would be great for this, right? That's just, that's just not the reality of it. It has to be, this is, you know, the company that you can go to reach out to them, see who they have. So if if it's always the same company, you know, you, you have limited resources. And I think there's a real shift happening in people's mindsets, um, you know, that like, are we living to work or working to live, right? So when you, you, the idea is, do you want people who love what they do, right? Where are you going and are you, is it accessible to you to go to the place where the people that you are speaking to, to bring in for your projects? actually love what they're working on, you know, and I just think that creates that unmeasurable ROI of like better quality design and content, which maybe, you know, there's no metrics for that, but me being able to go directly to one place where I know that I can always get newness or meet new people who might bring in, you know, something I'm working on today that was different than something yesterday. And I think that's really um, essential in the media industry. And I I do see where this is not going to change anytime soon, where freelancers do have the upper hand in this, right? So I see that some leaders are still struggling to release some of that control and be adaptive to this trend. Um, And I think that they're going to have to have a shift in their mindset to accept that they need to start looking to new resources and new companies outside the ones that they've always used, right? Otherwise, how will we be able to bring in newness? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think, um, yeah, it's, it's a big challenge for companies today is to figure out how to let their employees get access to the right talent and also build a talent pool. Because I think I think from what you've said and I think from conversations we've also had before, it's it's like so important to be able to know who you have in your talent pool, what skill sets you have so that you can, you know, action them and hire them as quickly as you need to when you need to. Because, you know, the fact is you say it takes six months to hire someone and I would imagine you don't usually have six months to deliver what you probably need anymore. So there's such a <laughs>
1: Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think anyone who really does work heavily in project management does see that—that that like often by the time you've realized you need additional help, you're already into the project, right? You're already behind the timeline when you realize you need additional help, and that's—I mean, I'm sure that is across other other um, industries as well. That 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 doesn't seem like that's just specific to media. Um, But it is so often, you know, by the time teams, uh, producers have run through the SOW and you've kind of brought in an agency and you've gotten to this point where you have kickoff and now you have this truncated schedule of when something needs to be done is often when you realize I need additional help on this project.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. And that must be, um, yes, so so much to juggle and Do you think given the media industry and, and, you know, what you're trying to do on a day-to-day, this, you know, is more of an, like, there's more of an impact for this type of industry that's doing a lot of creative work um, than maybe across other industries? I know, like, it's been a place where freelancers have been working for a long, long time. Um, So do you think that's been, like, um improved over the years or do you think it's uh like still a bit stuck in the past and like in need of innovation how do you see the uh i guess the freelancer experience as a whole being approached by um yeah media
1: companies and and the industry in general i think that it, it does happen in all industries i think in this industry you know in particular it is it is probably more difficult right because when you fold in on top of it, that you're working with creative people, you know, and they've always behaved say differently than, you know, the needs of a designer is so succinctly different than an accountant. It's just, you know, it's just that simple. And, you know, I think that idea of like, you know, happy wife, happy life, you know, often in a design studio, really you're just about finding, you know, a comfort space for designers. Um, and the larger the company, the harder that can be right And um, I just don't I don't see a future where that idea of like free lunch and games at work um, have that draw anymore. and it, you know it's it is it is a bit of an antiquated view and I think freelancers have always come kind of with that mindset of like um, quality of life and scheduling, work around their life maybe not life around work and now that's even more relevant than it's ever been before um so it's even just knowing that you've retained a very large group of site, high quality freelancers even that doesn't mean that they might be available for the project you need so i just don't see a world where it's, it's ever a large enough pool, right? It, it has to constantly be growing your your circle of people um, that you can that you can access and bring in. And especially with young designers, because I mean, we, we talk about it all the time, like what I knew yesterday, I don't know enough for tomorrow, right? And the young designers are just, they come out of school already knowing more than I know. They may not know how to do it for me, right? But, even just um their skill set is is so far beyond, say when when you know what I was doing ten years ago. So you really need to just always push forwards and find a route to be able to access the the younger designers and 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 meet them, you know, meet them at meet them at where they are in their life.
0: Yeah, that's those are like all such good takeaways, and I think like you said, uh, your talent pool could never be big enough. It's um, you know, I think sometimes what we hear is like people don't even have a place to begin with a talent pool. So you know, for for you uh, who's been doing this for a long time, to say you're constantly trying to build yours and making, I think it's just like a first good step is to like create one if you're you
1: know, right,
0: <laughs> build a network. I think, um, like, that's a really good first piece of advice. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's hard, right? Like, where do you keep it? How do you uh, share it with your colleagues? How do you, you know, remember all of the good talent you've worked with over the years? It's like, yeah, um, right. I guess a nice and problem even- to have. <laughs>
1: right. It's a, it's a nice problem to ha- have, but also, like, how do you share those resources? as well, which, which is, oh, that's obviously always been an issue, right? Like my, my department may not work as closely with a different department. So I may not even know, you know, a project they're working on that would have been a good fit for this person I just worked with. How do you share those resources in a large company? How do I, how do I share my network to facilitate that we continue to retain them, right? By giving them more work, without even being able to properly um, share resources across an org. Because my talent pool should be HBO's talent pool, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I um, I think, you know, in this age of like social media and connectivity and information, it's a clear gap in the market that, you know, we need to be able to do this within companies and we need to really start prioritizing this external talent pool and the skill sets and really, you know, um, making it work both better internally for the company so that they can access the talent, but also making sure it's a good experience for the freelancers too, so that they're actually active an active part of that talent pool who, um, you know, like you say, they might not always be available, but at least when they are, we want them, you know, to be able to come back. So, um, do you have any advice for people, like from the retention standpoint? Like, how do you provide a really good experience for external workers today? Like, what are they looking for? Like you said, it's it's not always pool tables, and in a lot of cases, they might be remote. So, how do you um how do you approach that? How do you make sure they uh, want to come back?
1: So i I say this a lot, probably to an annoying way, about like listen more and say less. Um, but there is a traditional system in place where we don't do exit interviews with our freelancers. Um in my experience, I could, you know, I can't speak to other companies. Um, we really only do it with full-time employees. And how can we ever find ways to be a better suited company to retain engage contract workers in a smarter way if we simply do not ask them, right? Um, we need to talk to them during that kind of interview process as we're almost kind of like, we need to talk to them while we're onboarding them. We need to talk to them while they're working with our staff. And then after the job is completed, not just about the actual job that they did for us, but the job that we did for them as a company, as, as people, you know, as managers. And, you know, what are those learnings we can take and use for them, but also for the next um, contractor, and that critical feedback can be uncomfortable. And I think for a long time, it's kind of just treated as freelancers come and go. So maybe, maybe those learnings aren't you know uh, aren't an advantage to us, but they are. And I don't know if that's become um, integrated as our thinking patterns yet with external talent. And I think that I really think is is going to be important in the next couple of years.
0: Listening is so important, understanding what the, the talent wants. I think you're right. It's, it's something we need to figure out from the first impression to the whole experience, to paying on time. Um, yeah, we (laughs) are paying on time.
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) It's so important. And it's so, um, so often that freelancers aren't getting paid correctly or on time or have to deal with like this admin and you think such a basic thing should be, um, easy to solve for a big company yet like even something as basic as that tends to um yeah become a a pain for a lot of freelancers and and the reason
1: they don't go back to companies yeah because it shouldn't it it shouldn't be the second part of their job right and it's never intentional and i think that that you know even that being conveyed is very comforting to freelancers and i'm from from personal experience i have had companies who were very, you know, very candid, saying it is a slow process. You know, I apologize, but just so you know, we don't pay. You know, net fifteen, we pay in net sixty. That conversation is a tangible moment where you are like honest and engaged with them with, with ex- like healthy expectations, instead of the second part of their job of working with you is them having to chase payment, and and that's just that's not a soft skill you know, that comes naturally to especially designers. Um, and it can also be really uncomfortable for, for younger um, contract workers. You know, it, 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 it's, it, it's a very like, what do I do next? What's too much? If I push too hard, will I not be brought in back again to work? You know, and then if that's really their takeaway of working with you, that, that kind of general anxiety of whether or not they were going to get paid in a timely fashion, you can't unring that bell. Yeah, it's
0: true. It's it's like these people are people. They're not um, necessarily vendors or companies, and I think often that's how they get classified in the payroll system. So it's right. it's um, yeah, it's it's something that I think everyone agrees needs to be fixed. And um, yeah, hopefully that's the the next step of of external workforce innovation is like these little things that create a better experience for these people. Uh, starting with these like basic elements um so yeah i think
1: uh, yeah i totally agree because uh, you see, you, see and... pe- you do you see people eventually almost getting to the point where they think would it be easier for me to be full time right instead of kind of always having to chase invoices and i i think that um that's that's not a great place to be because this industry in particular is going to need more freelancers. You know, almost every industry is going to need more freelancers. So we want people to know that there are components of that that are just simple and straightforward. Do the work and get paid in a timely fashion.
0: Yeah, we want them to feel valued and um, and not yeah not not choose something as big as like becoming a full-time employee after, you know, choosing the freelance life for a reason or something like right. that. Totally. Um, I wanted to quickly just talk about this idea of distributed creativity. It's um, in distributed talent. It's been something I've been reading a lot about recently. Yeah. And I guess it's, you know, it's just the idea that now, uh, you know, post pandemic, we're just experiencing, you know, the remote move to remote and that we can have remote workers and it, it can work really well. And I think for a lot of creative industries, this has been a game changer, just because there's more access to more talent, freelancers who are working all over the country or all over the world in some cases. Um, how do you think that's impacting like the creative industry as a whole, having access to more people coming from different perspectives and uh, different
1: markets, maybe even? Like, I like I love the shift to personally to distributed like creativity. Um, that idea that like it generates a creative product where like, you know, um, no single person's contribution, uh, determines the result, right? Like that's such a, just in that moment, that's such an, an amazing concept. Right. Um, but I think creative solutions to hybrid work environment more than just remote actually drove that necessity. And I think there's been these really wonderful outcomes of that, um, and I, and I think that they can be used in the future, in office, remote, hybrid, whatever um, the conditions are. And I, I'm, I'm hopeful that we take those learnings and push them forward because it makes space more often than ever before for the less heard opinions to find a place in the room, right? Um, those people who were never really afforded that that moment to contribute and I, I think, um, it's, it's shown these ways where almost companies can scale in a sustainable way because maybe people who never before had a voice do. So now you have more actionable choices in the room, you know, in different places coming from different places. And, I, you know, I don't know if it's a straightforward like North Star, you know, for the future, but I think it's it's really opened a door that was never there before for, um, for people to have a voice in, in, in how creative gets created, simply put, you know, and I think, you know, there's, there's this concept of diverse designers create diverse design, right? And if your, your, your audience is diverse, which how can it not be? Media is global now. Um, shouldn't your design be diverse? Shouldn't you speak to your audience? And how do you do that without really, you know, giving space at the table for those for those for that commentary?
0: Yeah, that's so well said. I think you're right too. It's um it's so important for innovation that we include this type of diversity. And like you say, media is global now. Um, and I guess it's just so fundamental that companies are, you know, uh, empowering people like you in roles like you know design ops to be able to access that talent globally as well. Um do you is there anything you you see in terms of like the future that you you would like to be better on that front or um like that you already maybe see in terms of trends of like how um the industry is going in terms of embracing this kind of concept of
1: of um distributed talent? I don't know if we're there yet. <laughs> But I but I it's what I I want it's a trend I want It's it's what I say in every room and I am I'm probably ad nauseum to people um but it, it's it's what I want it's what I believe um and I know that it's it's a slow it's a slow wheel to move away from the idea of it's it's the way we always did it right like I I everyone's heard that everyone's heard that in their life and I get it that it's complicated, you know to to shift and, and move and change. but um, I really want that idea of um, to to help us to move towards EQ over IQ and that there is space for us to talk about you know how people got to where they are um, and how that creates a better, employee or a better freelance contractor that not just what is the four lines on their resume um sum them up as as who they are and um you know if we if we just keep looking to bring in freelance or to hire people from the same small pond every day when we have the opportunity to fish in an ocean like why why do that you know and for me um I, I try to talk about it often that you know, background and education um, it is a blocker in some in some cases, and just simply changing the the verbiage in in your job descriptions. Like, are we unintentionally being discriminatory without without even realizing it? Are we still only safely interviewing people who look and sound like me? you know, that, that mirror me? Or am I looking outside my comfort zone at who is interesting for this role? Who could be a dynamic, you know, a contribution to this team? And I think what people forget is when you bring in incredible freelancers, they affect your staff employees. They can engage them in ways that actually end up you having better retention with your staff because of their interactions with those freelancers to drive them to be more interested and engaged in their job again, you know? So you, you, you want interesting people in the room and not everyone checks all the boxes on the job description, you know, how do we reframe those conversations to be more inclusive?
0: Yeah, I love that. I think it's, um, it's just, it's such a good point. And, you know, it's another, I think, really good case for why we need to ensure as companies that we're giving a really good experience to freelancers so that we get them to continue to come back time and time again to bring their kind of good vibes and good qualities into a company to, like you say, have a knock-on impact on other freelancers or full-time employees or or their managers even. So it's like, yeah, just kind of, so important that we uh, think about them too. Um, yeah, I love that. So uh, we, we're gonna need to wrap up here in a minute. This has just been such a, a great conversation. Um, but do you have any um, like final advice for someone who's maybe trying to build an external workforce program at their company, who's trying to make it better for people like you to be able to work uh, more you know, in a more agile, uh, streamlined way with freelance talent? Like what would you say to them uh, just to make sure that like they can, you know, do as much good in this space as possible and really create a program that is accessible for you and also efficient for you, um, and gives you access to all of these people that you, you want to have in your network.
1: I think it's about having cross-functional team conversations. I think in the past, some of those decisions were kind of made in in the same way, say, you know, you shifting from uh, Gmail to Outlook decisions were, have always been made at larger companies for you. Right. Um, And often people just kind of decide like, okay, this is, you know, we now use Jira instead of Confluence, right. Those decisions are just made for you. But if you can, if you can make, you know, make a, um, I can't think of the word, but like if you can make a case for your needs, right? And then I go to another team and I discuss my needs with them and theirs are aligned and their pain points are aligned with mine, right? Now I have two teams that can speak to that. And if you really interact and engage with your cross-functional teams, almost always there's overlap, right? Of pain points, of needs. And I think that there's power in that when you can go in a larger company and say, this is not just a direct need that affects me, but it would also advocate for this team and this team. And there's weight to that, you know? So I, I would advocate for people to reach out to their peers within a company and have those conversations with them about where their struggles are or you know who they're having conversations with. And then take all that and collect it in a cohesive way that tells the story of what your needs are and I think that there's there's real power to that in a company that you if you go with that actual data of this would help multiple teams, right? And these are the reasons. Um, I think you're given the opportunity more often than not to propose, say, a new company to work with or a new agency to work with. And we need to stop just using the same companies. And that's not going to happen if you don't collect that information in a, in a really clear, cohesive way to speak to the story of your needs within the company.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Have you, have you experienced that in terms of like managing your own freelance network? Have you seen like peers of yours also experience the same challenges of, of um yeah, not having maybe as fast of access or easy as of access to the people they want to work with? Is that like, been something you experienced personally?
1: Yes. And I think that that's across the board a very a very common pain point. Um I think, you know, even in a in a smaller company, I, I've had the experience where it's it's always just bring in the same person, right? That's the old adage of like, well can you just can you just have, you know, this person come back in again on Tuesday, because you know that we worked with them before. And then whereas in a large company it's it's how do you how do you bring in a new company to facilitate you building a, a talent pool? You know, it, it's kind of the same problem, different scenario, um, but it's still the same pain point. And I've, I've definitely experienced that on, you know, in, in all size organizations I've, I've worked with. Um, but I, I will say at HBO, I've had some really interesting conversations where, you know, um, people will reach out and say, well, I was speaking to this company. Have you spoken to them? Um, Do you want to meet with them? We're meeting with them next week. Um, And I, I, it's a really lovely experience to have people inside your, your own org reach out to, to discuss like, um, is this also happening for you? Right. Um, Do you want to talk about it? Would it, would it be good for you for us to make a plan together?
0: That sounds amazing. Yeah. To have that kind of camaraderie and, and, being able to share, especially around things like talent, um, where it is important to kind of build a network together. So, yeah, I totally, I can totally appreciate that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think overall this is like a trend we're just seeing across the world, across all companies, is like the need for innovation in this space in particular, that so much of the process that companies, especially enterprises and big companies, are using, uh, media industry being one of the biggest industries, probably um, when, when you're talking about, stuff, but is that they just need to innovate and they need to come up with new ways because the way it works has changed. So the way we need to, you know, create our workforces needs to change along with that. And it's a bit behind. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's been so fascinating. I think, you know, following this, especially for the last few years, because the changes have been so big and accelerated by, you know, all of the things happening in the world. Um, So yeah, hopefully we'll see it all happen this year. Maybe twenty twenty three is the the year of the it's innovator. The <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: it's 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 hard because you know, especially with design and freelance, it, it is innovation. You know, someone who has decided to build their own portfolio and basically put it out the world and say, like, do you like this? Do you want me to do this for you? Um, is like brave and incredible and innovative, and then. On the other side, you know, it's media companies. They are dinosaurs, you know, but we love them for it, right? Because it makes you think of things you remember from your childhood, and now they're doing this, so they're here still for a reason, right? Um, but there has to be a point where we find um, find a middle ground to 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 move forwards in some in some way that's innovative.
0: Yeah, I couldn't have said that better. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Um, Well, we are, yeah, we are out of time. But I I always love to end with uh, just like a little a few questions just to get to know you better um, that aren't necessarily workforce related. So I I would love to know if there's like an app or um, maybe it's like a website or something that you like just couldn't live without. It doesn't have to be work related, but it can be. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I mean I don't want it to be work related but I don't think I could uh, I don't think I could do it without Slack <laughs> and I um, I also have you know because I feel like life uh, integrates with work right I have workspaces in my Slack that are not work related um, but I think I it's honestly it's Slack also just because it's it, in the way my life functions the idea of um, knowing that you can simply put do not disturb on something but also the difference between someone sending an email i know that it's it's not pressing but if you send me a slack message it is um i think it it's it's helpful to plan plan your 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 expectations of what people need from you and i i do that with slack
0: yeah slack is like a a modern communication tool it's like i can't imagine life without it and even though i didn't have it for the beginning of my career <laughs> yeah total game changer now um yes. and then you have a favorite like it could be an hbo tv show or maybe it's you're more like into podcasting but do you have a favorite um yeah like show or, or something like that that you uh are
1: loving right now um i'm i'm not gonna lie for someone who works in media i am not great with tv <laughs> like, like um but i will say um a friend, Meredith Black, um, co-hosts uh, a podcast called Reconsidering. Um, she is um, also uh, in design ops. And it is a principle that really is important to me um, because there's so many facets to design design ops, like as a true principle. Um, and hers is a podcast about like how to make a life while making a living, which to me is like so simple, so smart. I love that. It's called reconsidering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, how can you make a life while making a living? I love that.
0: Definitely going to check that out. And then do you have like a favorite, like pick me up tradition or office snack or anything like that, that you um, kind of look forward to in your
1: working day? Um, It's popcorn. (laughs) It's always popcorn. (laughs) And at home, it's popcorn. And then in the office, um, every once in a while, they'll do screenings. And there's a lovely woman on our floor who has, we have Snack Slack. um, that lets you know when there are snacks, of course, in the kitchen. And there'll be leftover popcorn from screenings. So it's always popcorn.
0: That's amazing. I love popcorn. And um, I miss U.S. movie popcorn. There's nothing quite like it.
1: And it's not the same or, or quite as bad <laughs> like both of- i'm like yeah at home it's like homemade popcorn with like a nutritional yeast on it at, at work it's movie popcorn too very- i feel like those are not even in the same species
0: well yeah. i think i think cinema like proper cinema popcorn isn't even considered real food but it's so-
1: no no it's like how ketchup is a vegetable <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, um this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for um chatting with me today and um for yeah, for all of your amazing insights. Thanks for
1: having me.